Welcome to Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Paul and my co-host Justin Baker here. Uh, well, not here. He's not in the room with me, but it often feels like he is. I, I even, do wish I was in the room. <laughs> I, I mean, even when we're not doing the podcast, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, like you have your, your phone isn't even in your pocket and you're like, well, why my, my leg's vibrating and, and it's not really there. That's how I feel about you sometimes, you know, it's just Aww. like, oh, Justin's here. Oh, no, actually, I, I haven't seen him in months. Have I seen you? In mo- When's the last time I saw you in person? My wedding, wedding, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think you still got my belt too. So <laughs> I do still have your belt. Yes, I've worn it. <laughs> I've used it another time where I'm I was like, crap, have. where's my belt? Oh, well, here's Justin's. I'll just use it again. So thanks for the belt. Uh, <laughs> on today's show, we are going to preview the Metropolitan Division, uh, at least the first half of it, uh, going in alphabetical order through Carolina, Columbus, New Jersey, and the NYIs. Uh, we are now after today's show more than halfway through all the teams. So, uh, we're, we're making good progress. If you haven't heard central division and Pacific division, we we've done all those every team and given playoff predictions and broke down pretty much everything there is to break down between those, uh, all those teams. And we'll continue to do so here in what might be the most interesting division in the entire league here, the Metro. It's probably the best division in the league for my money. We'll see what you think. And, uh, yeah, let's let's dive right in. Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, let's talk just a quick overview of the additions and subtractions because this team is, like, hilarious to look at their subtractions and then who they added. Now, of course, they, you know, they traded... Warren Fogle to the Edmonton Oilers for Ethan Bear. So there's that swap. Dougie Hamilton leaves for greener pastures in New Jersey. And uh, literally, they, they actually you know have more green on their jersey. Uh, so that's that's kind of the two big losses from the, from the skater perspective. Uh, this might be the first time I've ever seen a team lose all three goalies in an off season that played significant amount of games for them in, in the season. That's Alex Nedeljkovic, Peter Morazic, and James Reimer all out for the Carolina Hurricanes and in Frederick Anderson, Antti Ranta, and I, I third goalie, I don't know if they have another one somewhere. I'm sure they do, but uh, those are the two guys they signed. They also obviously get Jesperi Kotkaniemi in the offer sheet. They also signed Derek Stepan, Josh Levo, Tony D'Angelo, we can get into that a little bit. Uh, that was a controversial sh- signing when it happened. And uh, then Ian Cole and Brendan Smith, former Red Wing, also joined the team. So lots of movement for this Carolina Hurricanes team. So I want to ask you, Justin, so many changes to the team, especially goaltending. I mean, it's obviously completely different. Can they, for lack of a better word, indoctrinate this many players around their culture really quickly as the season starts and kind of get everyone on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, you know what? I mean, to be quite honest, they've got the right head coach for it. They've got a good group of, of forwards and, and still a good group of defenders left over. Um, I think it's going to be very, very easy. I mean, look, obviously that back end is led by uh, Brett Pesci and uh, Jacob Slavin. So, you know, honestly, I think with those two guys back there, I think it's pretty easy to ease the other 
sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, ease those guys in. Uh, and look, they went out and they got the right goaltenders, right? You bring in Freddie Anderson and Antti Rotna, and you're going to, you know, do, a, I mean, a wholesale change on in, in goal. I mean, you brought in good veteran guys that have, that have been there, uh, that have, you know, been in winning cultures, that have been in losing cultures. So they, they've seen both sides of the coin, and so they know – they know what it's going to take and what's going to be required of them. And so I think uh, with all that said, you know, not having lost major pieces up front is definitely going to help. And uh, for me, more than anything else, so I think the big reason why I think, you know, they can make these massive changes is because of a guy like Rob Brendamore. He is that type of coach that guys show up and want to play for because, listen, I don't know if you've seen that guy work out, but he works harder than anybody else still skating. And he's way more intimidating than any, I mean, you know, if you want to call him bottom forward fighter type guy. So if he gets at you, you're going to work. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, obviously the, the right, co- they, they have one of the best coaches in the national hockey league. I think that's especially, he's kind of like that old school, like hard nosed coach, but in a new school kind of way where he he's not quite, I, I don't think that he's a, uh, the embarrassment kind of hard nosed kind of guy. Um, he's kind of, the new, the new age. Yeah, of the I always hard-nosed thought coach. He, he would be like. To me, he was the kind of coach that I think Columbus thought they were going to get out of John Tortorella, that hard-nosed kind of old-school guy. And you know what? I think it worked out much, much better for Carolina. That's for well, sure. They, they also have a, a better team and a team where people well, want to yes. go play. <laughs> they want to go to the city and play. Um, you know, let, let's just circle back to the goaltending uh, because last year. Frederick Anderson played 24 games, uh, an 8.95 save percentage, and that's on the best team in the division. I mean, you know, obviously he he had some injury problems, right? Like, and, and maybe we can point to a lot of his poor numbers as the the big problem. But when you look at because when you look at Jack Campbell's numbers, they're significantly better. So you know that it wasn't just well the team around him didn't play as good a defense. Like that's always kind of been a little bit of a, a potential shtick in Toronto that yeah their defense just isn't as good and so yeah he gives them more. but Jack Campbell in his twenty two starts a nine two one save percentage of two one five goals against so uh, significantly better than Frederick Anderson and you got to ask the question about Anderson you know was it just was it an injury and he's fully healed because he has had nagging groin issues for multiple years now. And then you go over to Auntie Ranta, who, uh, let's face it, since 1819, he has played in 47 games. Like in the last three years, he played 12 games, he played 33 in 1920, and then he played in 12 games last year. Uh, and last year was his worst season of his career outside of his rookie year with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, a 905 save percentage, 336 goals against. Uh, that's a that's that's a rough. I mean, on a terrible team, so I, I understand that. But he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So my biggest concern, not necessarily that these guys aren't good goalies when they're healthy, but what happens if both these guys go down? Can like you know you're looking at what Alex Lyon? Um, I don't know who Beck Warm is. I if anybody out there listening knows who Beck warm is but he's he's a goalie in Carolina system he played 14 games last year in the in the AHL so um never heard of him before Beck warm I like the name 
that's, that's all I got. Uh, but, you know, Alex Lyon is the one goaltender in their system beyond these two guys that has NHL experience. You know, he's played with the Flyers for the last four years in a in a largely very large backup role. You know, the most games he's played is 11. He's played in 22 NHL games. So there's your next, there's your third guy if both these guys go down. Or, frankly, if either one of these guys goes down, go down, then Alex Lyon is your next guy up probably. Uh, unless, you know, one of these younger guys, all of which are 22 years old, uh, can come up and, and do something. So that, to me, is is a pretty big worry. Like, when you go from having Peter Mrazek and Nedeljkovic both guys stayed pretty healthy all year long and Mrazek has been pretty solid for you for a good amount of time now and now you go to two guys who are injury prone and on the other side of 30 are we worried yeah so there's the concern right and so for me let's let's start with Peter Mrazek right basically Toronto and Carolina swap goaltenders right Anderson and Mrazek and so the question for me is you know what maybe Maybe because Carolina went from, you know, Mrazek starting 40 and 40 the two years prior to last, and he's put up some good numbers when he's been healthy. And you know what? He he basically gets pushed aside because he has some injuries last year. And, um, you know, Nedeljkovic shows up, and he basically steals the show, right? He has a career year. I mean, obviously his first real year in this league. And, and you know, some some people can point to and say, oh, it was a contract year. You know, he you know guys typically tend to play better. Uh, but at the same time, you know, this guy's young enough to where maybe you look at it and you say, okay, well, maybe he's finally starting to develop. Maybe he's finally coming into his own. Well, and he's playing so, on a really good team. So, yeah, his his right. 9-3-0 save percentage might be a little less than that on a, on a lesser team. But he had a great year nonetheless. No, absolutely. Was, had a great year. And so when you look at both those guys, I want to know, for one thing, you look at Mrazek and you think, okay, was the relationship damaged there because they went from him, you know, basically – Mrazek carrying this team a little bit uh, on his back, you know, when they really didn't have anybody uh, a number one in goal yet for the last couple of years. And then they say, oh, cool, now Nedeljkovic is developed. We're bringing him in. Thanks, but no thanks. You know, we're going to basically push yeah. him aside now. Or was it just basically, you know, they weren't willing to pay up, you know, more than one year for him? Well, that Who that's knows? a weird – the weird thing is that they – I mean – it's it's not like okay, so Mrazek goes and signs three years at three point eight. I mean, then they signed Frederick Anderson for two years at four five, and Auntie Ranta two years at two, and Alex Nedeljkovic. I mean, what he he didn't even get that. Like he got what three three and a half three mil three yeah. million. Yeah, it it, and so, it doesn't make sense to me why you would you know why you're you're so happy to trade away. A 25-year-old goaltender who had a career year for you, who wants a very reasonable amount of money for a couple of years. That like, and but then you go and you sign Frederick Anderson, who has never won a playoff round, and and has struggled with injury the last couple of years. Like it just, it's it seems to be a a strange bet, like an of a, a very unnecessary bet. They could have just bet on the guy that they knew. Um, instead they go and they bring Frederick Anderson. I wonder, you know, what did Jake Gardner have to say about Frederick Anderson? Um, it's, sure. it's funny because, you know, Jake Anderson or uh, Jake Anderson, Jake Gardner <laughs> and Frederick Anderson, 
uh, have been through some pretty uh, pretty brutal playoff losses together. So uh, we'll see if they can bring some bad luck upon the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I just I don't see the logic in getting rid of Nadelkovic, especially because from what I understand, it was over basically a half a million dollars yeah. for such a young guy. And then they Not went and gave it. way more to to Anderson anyways. Right, and I get it. Anderson is probably the only one out of this group who has more than two years of starter experience, and sure. maybe that's what you've been missing in Carolina. But, but he's 31. Guy right, exactly. He's on the wrong side of 30, and he's basically had mediocre years the last couple seasons. So, you know, there's it's not like he had a, a good year last year and Toronto just wasn't willing to pay up the money. I mean, Anderson was just mediocre last year and right. got outplayed by Jack Campbell. Yeah. Uh, it's It's really probably the biggest question mark for me coming in uh, the Dougie Hamilton. I mean, what are you going to do? He signed for for nine million. Like, you're you're, yeah, probably, you're that, not going to sign him management. for that kind of price uh, it, for this team and for for what else they have to uh, you know to probably do here. I mean, with with Trocheck and Niederreiter and uh, the, those guys, deals ending. You, you got to be thinking that they're they're probably. They're probably capped out. They weren't going to just hand over all that money to Dougie Hamilton, uh, especially no, with Dougie Martin Hamilton. Martin Nishis coming up too. I mean, that's the big contract. He's going to need a huge, you know, maybe not you know seven eight million dollars, but he's going to need. He's going to get paid. Yeah, he's he's going to yeah. get paid. Uh, yeah, it's uh, nine million bucks is a lot of money to to spend on a Dougie Hamilton when you know he's he has had some injury issues he's had some personality issues he's uh he's he's still a really good player you know nobody's gonna go oh crap you have dougie hamilton on your defense that sucks like he's a really good player but you also got to think all right is it like when when is this guy gonna slow down you know he's 28 he's probably got another couple years before he really starts to slow but the amount of years that he was signed for I mean, it's going to be hard for him to fulfill, uh, you know, all seven years of this contract, putting up 50, 50 plus points in all those. Yeah, years. you think New Jersey would have learned their lesson with PK Subban's contract, yeah. right? But yeah. <laughs> well, well, I will actually get to New Jersey too. Uh, you know, here here in a minute. Uh, let's let's jump over to Co- uh, Yes, Barry Coke and Yemi. They give up a first and a third, and in uh, six point one million in cap space, which really in the cap space for them, not a big deal. Uh, they, you know, they've got zero of it, so obviously they they've spent it all, <laughs> and and some of that is on a cooking game. But it's not like they were going to go out and sign another guy at two million. Like I, I don't think that that was that's that big of a deal for this season, and I don't think. Long term, he'll make six million. Uh, I think that it'll be less than that. Now, you know, obviously, I know all about the. You can. They'll have to match if they if they get to that point. They'll have to match for at least six point one million, and and then they run the risk of him making that amount because he can then just say, yeah, accept your your match. But um, I. I don't know how I feel about giving up a, a first and a third for a guy who, I mean, he was benched in the playoffs, and that's the place you want to go, right? Like, you want to you want to make it to where Montreal made it, and he was getting benched. Uh, what do you think about this move? 
Yeah, it, it's curious. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I understand. Uh, you know, he's still young, right? He's 22 years old, 21. Uh, he's still young enough to where he can still develop. He can still turn into a really quality player who's worth six million dollars. But um, you know, from what I've seen so far, uh, the one preseason game with Carolina, he looks like he fits in all right. Um, I, from what I, what it looks like, he's probably going to play third line minutes based upon their depth chart at the forward position. But long term, you know, maybe their plan is when Jordan Stahl's contract is up in two years, you know, maybe that's where you see Koke Niemi kind of slide into that second line center spot. Maybe. Um, yeah. You do know, you think again, they're going to play him on the wing, or are they going to play him at center? Well, so right now they're putting him on the wing, yeah. you know, on that third line with Trocheck. But you know, how long does that last? How you know? Because obviously, well, it's look, you know. Yeah, Sebastian Ajo and Jordan Stahl are your number one and two center. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, Vincent Trocek, obviously, I think he's he's best at center, too. So there's your one, two, three, you know, however many minutes you want to give each guy. And so, obviously, they're not going to pay $6 million to put, you know, Koke Niemi on the fourth line to play center. So um, he's obviously going to be playing wing this year. And it's just a matter of with whom and how many minutes a night he gets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the first and the third... Uh, for a guy who scored all of what uh, he's scored like 11 22 goals in 171 games uh, he's not someone who's who's scoring goals at all uh, and and I don't see that all of a sudden he's gonna go out and score 20 goals I don't I don't see it happening for him uh, but and not you know not that he can't produce other places, and not that he's not a productive player, but to give up a first round pick, like think of the value of a first round pick and the players you could acquire for said first round pick. Like it is a big gamble. Uh, granted, their I, I know their first round pick. They they hope that it's somewhere in the well. They hope that it's thirty second overall, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that it really doesn't matter. Um, but it's uh you know, there always is the potential that that pick, you know, things don't work out. You have a weird off year and you don't make the playoffs and suddenly you're looking at that pick as a top 15 pick and you're missing out on someone because you chose to spend it and bring in a guy. You know, if if Coke and Yemi doesn't work out, then it's a, it's a big risk. And uh, again, I guess, you know, it's kind of the theme of their off season seems to be, let's take a lot of risks where we don't have to. Right. <laughs> that's that's sort of the, yeah, the sort of the way that I see it. Um, yeah, and you look at the guys that they could have gotten free agency, right, for $6 million. They could have brought somebody in on a one-year deal, like a Mike Hoffman, who probably is going to give you 25 goals this right, season. And, right. you know, there's little risk. You don't lose a draft pick, and there you go. Yep, I agree. Um, last, last thought. Anthony D'Angelo, I know a lot of people don't like him because he, you know, is just outspoken about things that some people disagree about. Uh, but from a, like, and I know that he's kind of been a rough teammate at times. Some people don't like him. Uh, again, I think it's because he's outspoken about what he believes in, and that is is what it is. Uh, for one year, one million bucks. For Anthony D'Angelo, who could go out and get you, put up the same kind of numbers that, Dougie Hamilton put up is a is a potential absolute robbery and a steal if if that one works that's like the one risk 
that I, I know people were mad that they signed him, but that's like the one risk that it was like, yeah, take a risk on this guy. One year, one million, you can bury him in the minors. You can tell him to go home. Like it's really not that big of a deal. I, he he's just here to play hockey. Like not a, you're not going to agree with everybody, but at Anthony D'Angelo is the one risk that I think it's like, yeah, why wouldn't you take that risk? One year, one mil for a guy who put up 53 points a couple years ago. And, uh, and the only reason why he didn't probably do it last year is because the Rangers didn't like him. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's had his locker room issues and his off-ice issues, right? But I think, um, you know, Carolina is a good place for players to go that maybe need that rehab, right? Maybe to maybe need to get, get their heads straight, get things back in line, and really rehabilitate their image and their personality. And so... Um, you know, I think if there's any team out there, Carolina is as good as any that provides enough leadership in the locker room and behind the bench and, you know, up in the, you know, up in management. So, um, you know, from a from a production standpoint, right, you look at that, it's high reward, low risk for them, too. I completely agree. You know, if you get any sort of production out of him at all, um, if he's any shell of his former self, you know, even if he puts up, you know, say 20, 25 points, that's still a win win as yeah, far a million as a million bucks, dollars, yeah. assuming he doesn't, you know, cause a ruckus in the locker room because again, you you have a good nucleus of players and a good chemistry, a good thing going on in Carolina with those I, jerks. And I so, thought they were a bunch of jerks. Uh, yeah, that's. I, yeah, <laughs> I thought that he would fit in perfectly, and everybody got mad about it. I mean, it's, it's weird. Um, yeah, and good thing is he's an RFA, so even if he does really really well and they just can't re-sign him, uh, you know, say he wants a huge raise or something like that, you know, he's an RFA, so they're not going to lose him for nothing. Right. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's, uh, we'll move on to the Columbus Blue Jackets who made a few big splashes. Uh, the Blue Jackets go out and of course trade Seth Jones, the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, for, for all intents and purposes for our list of additions and subtractions to the current team. We're just going to say that we're swapping Seth Jones for Adam Boakvist because that's kind of what, you know, as far as who actually will probably make the team or players that have already played in the NHL, it's Adam Boakvist. Uh, so Adam Boakvist gets added. Seth Jones is out. Jake Bean is in from the Carolina Hurricanes. He finally, you know, after all the years of saying the Carolina Hurricanes have a lot of defensemen, maybe they should get rid of one. Uh, they they did go and get rid of two. <laughs> Jake Bean right. and, and, of course, Dougie Hamilton. And... uh then the Cam Atkinson, Jacob Voracek, kind of a kind of a, a little bit of a swap, and uh, maybe the biggest subtraction, John Tortorella, not a player, but uh, certainly probably the face of the franchise for a little bit, and uh, Tortorella also out. So big changes are arise for the Blue Jackets, and with Seth Jones gone. I think they're the one player everyone is going to be looking at is Zach Wierenski and asking, can he be a true number one defenseman? Yeah, uh, that is definitely not out of the realm of possibilities. I really like his game. I mean, we know he can score some goals on that back end. And so now he doesn't have that, that protection of, you know, pointing the finger. Not that he's ever done that, but if, you know, writers and analysts pointing the finger at Seth Jones because he's been the guy for a while where you looked at it and you say, okay, he's the potential Norris tri- type defenseman. Well, now he's gone, right? He he was okay last year and he's off to Chicago, signed a huge contract too. And so Wierenski signs that huge extension as well for $9.5 million. So now it's put up or shut up time. And I think it's it was also a little bit of 
you know, Columbus saying, we don't want to lose another big name defenseman. So let's just pay him now. Yeah. Um, you know, think about, uh, where the Columbus blue jackets defense was last year, you know, with Seth Jones, with David Savard, uh, this defense has gotten a uh, definitely a, a younger look to it now. You know, Wierenski leading the way is 24. You got Jake Bean at 23. Bolkvist is 21. And uh, and, and then uh, Gavrikov at 25 as well. Uh, this is a defense that is going to probably have some growing pains. Uh now, they do have Elvis Merlickens. He's locked up for a good while now at $5.4 million. Holy smokes. Uh, seems like a big number for Merlickens, but he is going to kind of carry this team through what I view as a, a very stark rebuild. And it, it looks kind of like this team is... Are they rebuilding? Like, they totally are because they ditched Seth Jones, but... It looks like they're maybe still kind of trying because they, of course, brought in Voracek and, you know, they, they still have some decent pieces. But is this team good enough to to compete in this division? Like, is there anyone out there who thinks this could be a playoff team? Yeah, I think probably not. I mean, when you look down the middle, right, that's the first place I look at when I look at this team. And I, I don't see anybody, right? Jack Ro- Roslovic is essentially your number one center at this point um so when you look past the 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 lack of depth at depth at the center position i think now you your your focus if this team is going to be anywhere close to being a playoff team it has to be on patrick line right this guy obviously just couldn't get it done last year he wasn't scoring goals he didn't you know try to blame anybody he just basically wrote off last year and said i'm done thinking about it you know 10 goals in 45 games is just not good enough and 21 points, obviously, again, not good enough. So I think if there's any hope for this team to get close to the playoffs, they need him to be back to that probably 35 to 45 goal range, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's uh, it's only been four years since he put that kind of production up. That was 17, 18. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm sure that he could go out and he could score. Um, and, you know, he might because this team – isn't going to be very good. And so maybe it's like, yeah, I'll just shoot the puck. <laughs> just right. just see what you can do for you a little bit. I know that some of those, a couple of those years, you know, they were really trying to focus on his defensive side. And, uh, 28 goals in 68 games, what he had there in 1920. I mean, that's, you know, he's on pace for, for a 35 goal season. It's it really last year. Uh, he fell off the mark. John Tortorella, I don't think, was good for Line A's game. So we will see what Brad Larson can bring to the table and uh, what he's got up his sleeve because they. you're right. If he can be really good, then maybe they can compete for like some playoff spot for a minute. Like There are some decent players on this team. It's just a matter of if it can kind of all come together. Like maybe the reason they bring in a Jacob Voracek is because, I mean, that guy can dish the puck and maybe they're thinking he can come in and, you know, if he can have another year where he's putting up basically 50 assists is what he's been paced for the last couple years. I mean, the last several years, pretty close, darn close to 50 assists every year. Um, if he can get close to that, you know, you're probably looking at a, at least a 30 goal season for line a, uh, and, and that would be huge. 
that would be absolutely huge. Yeah, and don't forget, too, they're going to have a healthy Gustav Nyquist back this year as well, too. And he's just two years removed from, you know, basically putting up 50 points in 60 games on a terrible Red Wings team. So you think, okay, well, now he goes in and he maybe has a little bit more offensive help than he did when he was with those Red Wing, you know, that Red Wing team back then. Sure. And so maybe a healthy Nyquist, you know, maybe he can help them put up 20, 25 goals and, you know, maybe another 25 assists. And he can really add some depth at that forward position for him. Even so, even if all those things happen, I, I still see this team as uh, uh, it, there's there's just too much firepower in this division for me to even come close to putting Columbus into the playoffs. I, they maybe yeah. won't be last in the division, but I definitely don't think they're going to be third or fourth or even fifth in this division. I, I don't see it. May, you know, if they were in the Pacific, I... I think there would be an argument for like, yeah, could this team make the like pull out a wild card spot in the Pacific? But to, like that would have potential. But in this metro, there's just there's no way. The metro like the Eastern Conference is a freaking powerhouse. That like there are so <laughs> many good teams in the Eastern Conference. The West the West there are far more teams, I think that you go, well, that team could be last, that team could be last, that team could be last. Like, there's there's a good amount you know, when you count it up. Whereas in the East, you've really got Buffalo, Detroit, and, like, I guess Columbus. I I, I don't even see Ottawa as, like, a, oh, they're definitely going to finish last. Like, no, that definitely not. I don't think Ottawa will finish last. And you look at the rest of the teams in that division, and I think that, all of the rest of the teams outside of Buffalo and Detroit could make the playoffs in any division in in the rest of the the league or in the in the West, I should say. Okay. Um. Okay. So, when it comes to Columbus, my big question for them is: we know we know they're basically in a rebuild, whether they want to admit it or not. They're they're rebuild, retool, whatever. But how do they rebuild in such a way that? it's going to put them in a position to actually be able to hang on to their talent moving forward. Because that, like we watched everyone leave, like everyone who could stay once they become a UFA, they're out of there. And to me, it's, it's something deeper than just, well, they need to win. Like, yeah, but they, they did have some nice playoff run. I mean, there, there are teams that have not won in a minute. Like, the New Jersey Devils. They haven't won in a minute, and yet, huh, Dougie Hamilton still wants to go sign there. You know, like the... Oh, name any team throughout the league, and, you, and you've got players who want to go and play in most cities that don't have a... T- especially American cities that, like, they can they can convince their own to stay. But for whatever reason, the Blue Jackets just cannot seem to keep people around. And maybe that was Tortorella. Uh, yeah, and I do think that that is a big part of it, right? Because it's it's about creating a culture, not necessarily, okay, a lot of teams, especially teams like Colorado, Tampa Bay, you create this culture of winning, right? So it's it's a lot easier if you maybe your coach or your, your management doesn't create a good internal culture. It's easy to keep guys because they know they're going to win there. However, with teams like this, yeah, it starts from management and the head coaching position down because I think you need the right guys in place to make – players especially younger players want to come there right and so you know if this team is going to rebuild on the fly not necessarily you know through coach if 
coaching and management, if they're going to do it too, they're going to have to convince some of their UFAs, some of their RFAs to stick around and to do that, they might have to overpay. And then that means they're going to have to draft extremely well over the next few years so that they do bring in younger players who can develop and fill in and add some depth, add some scoring. So that that way, you know, guys on the free agent market can look and say, okay, cool. They've got some exciting young guys. Things are on the up and up for this team. You know, the head coach is great. So let's, let's hang around. I know they're in a little bit of rough spot. And, you know, again, when I look at a team like Detroit, right, a team I'm super familiar with, and we can talk about this a little bit more, but they've got a lot of young guys and they've got a good culture with a guy like Stevie Eiserman, who's, who knows how to win. So now you build this, this thing where like, you know, once they get to that point where they start winning games, it's easy to bring in veteran guys. It's easy to bring in those free agents. Right. Totally agree. Yeah. That's, uh, by the way, rough news about Jacob Verana being out four months after getting shoulder surgery. Oh, that's, that's brutal. That, that is a, uh, uh, going to be a big chink in the armor there for the Red Wings. That's too bad. Um, uh, okay, let's uh, we'll we'll leave the Blue Jackets on that note and uh, move across to another team in the Metro that uh, that has had struggles as of the last several years, and uh, it's it's really been a minute since they were very competitive. You know, it's like those Taylor Hall years, and uh, the New Jersey Devils really trying to to hit the reset button and, and kind of declare, uh, not quite like the Ottawa Senators declaring it, but declaring it indeed that the rebuild is kind of coming to an end. You know, they, they lose Nick Merkley and Will Butcher. Pretty easy to put up with those losses. And you bring in Dougie Hamilton, Thomas Tatar, Ryan Graves, and add a solid backup goaltender in Jonathan Bernier. A, a really nice offseason for the Devils. Uh, a, a nice piece, like Bernier, a perfect compliment, I think, to have Mackenzie Blackwood. And now the question is, like, is this team poised to break out? And is Jack Hughes, are we going to see the the number one overall pick show up and be what he should be? I mean, I'm not talking he needs to be Sidney Crosby, but is he going to be someone who you go, oh yeah, he should have like he's unreal. Time to time to like tip the caps. Maybe he's putting up close to a point per game. Are we going to see that kind of development from the Devils and from Jack Hughes? Maybe. <laughs> All right, let's move on yet. to yeah, the I... <laughs> the New York Islanders. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, you know what I. It wouldn't shock me if we see between 60 and 70 points out of him this year. I'm not quite set on him being a point-per-game player yet, but you know what? I I think he's making strides. He's moving in the right direction. And I think, you know, again, he's he has the luxury, too, of playing behind a guy who is so good when it comes to the two-way game with Nico Heischer there. So I think there's no pressure on him to be that. So I think they're going to allow him to really develop right and not really rush him into being like, you have to be the number one guy. You have to be our top line center playing 23 minutes a game. They don't have to do that with him. And I think that's going to be, you know, do him well over the next two or three years for when I think guys like Luke Hughes come in, right? His brother come in to play on the back end. P.K. Subban moves out and they bring in, you know, maybe some other guys up front or at the back end to really, you know, use that $9 million a little bit more wisely. And I think this team can really, really develop into something really nice here soon. 
Yeah, I'm not sure that they're quite a playoff team yet, but I think that this is the way that this team's kind of structured now. Do you kind of see a little glimpse of like uh, what like Ottawa was last year, where eh, kind of just a an an iffy start? You know, everybody's still kind of figuring their stuff out, and then they're able to kind of bring it together at the end of the year. A little bit of the pressure's off, but also the younger guys are really hitting their stride. Uh, it, you could make an argument that that was that already actually happened to the Devils last year. Uh, they do have, you know, they do have good experience on the back end. Like their back end is is not bad at all. I mean, Dougie Hamilton, Ryan Graves, Ty Smith really showed up. Uh, in his the first year of his ELC, you know he twenty three points in forty eight games. I mean that's a that's a great rookie season for a seventeenth overall pick in twenty eighteen. Uh, and then you know PK Subban, Damon Severson, like there there's some decent guys on this back end who can uh, certainly move the puck. And I I don't think in comparison to maybe some of the other teams in this division like uh like Carolina the Rangers, the Islanders. Uh, I don't know that they have quite as good of a defense, but I'd, I'd venture to say that their defense is probably like very similar on skill level to like the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, you know, you look, who whose defense would you rather have, the Penguins or the Devils? I, would you rather have Chris yeah. Letang or Dougie Hamilton? I mean, there's... There's probably. I mean, I'd probably still take Latang, but maybe uh, when you, yeah, but when you like, look at there, the there's an argument whole, to be made. Sure, sure, absolutely. But when you look at the defense as a whole, I'll take New Jersey all day. I, and then you look at the back end at goal. I'll take New Jersey all day over Pittsburgh's goaltending, right? Yeah. So, you yeah, know, again, Pitt- when you look at the teams that they have to play in this league, I think they're they're making the right strides. They're moving in the right direction. So, um, yeah, I, I I mean, when you look at this top four defense as a whole. There's nothing to complain about. It's not like those teams usually at the bottom of the barrel where maybe they have one guy who looks really nice, but the rest of them are, you know, just a bunch of, you know, fifth and sixth, you know, defensemen that are just, you know, playing above their potential or playing extra minutes. And so, you know what? I I like where this defense is going. It's still young enough with guys like Ty Smith and Dougie Hamilton is still on the, the right side of 30. So, yeah, it's everything's moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, and bringing in Thomas Tatar, uh, you know, he he put up thirty points in fifty games. I mean, that's like a forty-five, maybe even better season than that. Uh, getting more minutes with with New Jersey uh, last year, kind of a kind of a rough year for an Andreas Janssen. Only five goals in fifty games. Uh, I think that he's he is better than that. And I, I wonder if, you know, he'll get one kind of one more crack here with the Devils being able to play up in their lineup and maybe he's able to do a little bit more. And I, I think that there's some, you know, like Miles Wood, Jesper Bratt, like these are guys who they, they've shown that they can play. They can kind of move their way up and down the lineup and, and be pretty good. Pavel Zaka is starting to come into his own. He's had last year on pace for really almost like 50 almost 60 points is what he was on pace for last year. Like Pavel Zaka is probably the one guy in New Jersey that outside of New Jersey, no one's talking about him, but he could be a real player. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when you look at this forward group, if you look at like go on cat friendly for anybody who's curious, 
and you look at their sign forwards, 13 guys right now, only one guy, Thomas Tatar, is over the age of 26. That's exciting if yeah. you're a New Jersey Devils yeah. fan because you look, you can say, cool, we've got a lot of young guys who can still develop and still produce. And not only that, but I mean, yeah, next year you've got a ton of RFAs to re-sign. But you know what? Again, they're still young enough to where they can get these guys in it at pretty good deals to where, you know what? Hey, if you give a guy like Jack Hughes, you know, four or five million dollars and you get him signed for three or four years, that doesn't hurt you cap wise. And, you know, again, there's nobody else really that's going to, you know, hurt them as far as cap hits are concerned. So you still got plenty of time for these guys to develop and grow. And, you know, I mean, two or three years from now, they could be a, a, a serious threat. Now, here, here is uh, this is this is what the New Jersey Devils should do if they're smart. And if they don't do it, you know, obviously it means they're not smart. And I'm smarter than <laughs> than uh, everyone associated with their organization. At this point, why the hell have you not offersheeted Quinn Hughes and brought the brothers together? How dare you, New Jersey? How well, dare you? Quinn Hughes, I don't think, can be offersheeted. So I don't oh, think... Oh, he can't. You're right. No. Yeah, so, yeah he can't. Unfortunately, but I, I get where you're coming from because, yes... If, if I was New Jersey, I would have made a phone call at least and been like, hey, what's the holdup? You know, is it over a few million dollars? Listen, we'll give you the next three first-round picks. I would throw that at them all day long and easily give up that kind of, you know, or maybe two first-round picks and a couple really good players. Uh, like, you know, again, I would throw in Ty Smith in that package and try to bring in Hughes. So, again, you get the brothers in there because, right? hell, if you get anything close to what the Sedins did for Vancouver, you're doing all right. Just get those brothers in. That's yeah. That's that's uh, that's what I want to see. But anyways, you know, any any way that you could make it possible. Like, what if you, you know, what if you went and you said, "Hey, here's the deal. Uh, we'll we'll issue an offer shoot to Elias Pettersson if you don't trade us Queen Hughes." <laughs> just start going. Just just start throwing threats around. Uh, there you go. That's. I mean, we all just want to see the brothers together. That's you know when when the stalls came together and and. Uh, it was Jordan and Eric there for a while. For some reason, you know, Mark just didn't want to come join, I guess. But uh, you just want to see brothers play together. It's fun. Fa- something about family is, is a good time. Okay. Uh, can Lindy Ruff coach this team to the playoffs? Like, is he is he in a place where, like, is Lindy Ruff going to be the guy that gets this team to the playoffs? Maybe not this year. Maybe next year. Maybe the year after. Or is he there just to help some of these younger guys develop or is like, is this like a long-term plan with Lindy Ruff? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably going to be a long-term plan. I don't know if he's necessarily the type of coach that will develop young guys. Um, but I mean, you never know. Right. So to me, I think he's just, he's there. He's, I, I, I don't think they think of him as a stopgap as like, you know, they're going to go out and get another coach once this team's ready to go. I think they already know these guys are going to develop pretty well. And there's not a whole lot of developing that Lindy Ruff really needs to do himself out of, outside of just being a good coach. Uh, you know, just be his, be his normal self, right? He's not like one of those guys that are known for developing younger players. Right. So, um, you know, hey, he just goes out there and bees Lindy Ruff. And I think everything will work itself out. It seems like the last time Lindy Ruff was successful was like 2008. <laughs> well, I'll give you that. <laughs> He's uh, had some pretty horrible Buffalo teams, though. Well, so. that's, yeah. Um, and Dallas. He was in yeah, Dallas there. That's true. But for me, I, you know what? For me, the X factor for this team 
is the goaltending. Um, obviously, we know what's up front, and we know what Dougie Hamilton can bring. But like you mentioned earlier, I love Jonathan Bernier. I think he's a perfect addition. I'm very, very high in Mackenzie Blackwood. I might go as far as even put him in my top 10 goaltenders in this league, uh, at least from what I think he's capable of. So, you know, if Jonathan Bernier plays as well as he did in Detroit and New Jersey, I think they're going to be in fine shape. Okay. Final team for part one of our Metro is the New York Islanders. The Islanders, uh, they, you know, they, they trade with the Red Wings. They send Nick Letty to the Wings. They, they acquire Richard Ponick. They also sign Zach Parise and Zidona Chara. So they, they snag the oldies. Uh, Andrew Ladd is dealt along with uh, Jordan Eberle goes to the Seattle Kraken in the expansion draft. And Travis Zajac, who is only there for a hot minute, retires. Um, and I will say, a nice addition, a healthy Anders Lee. Uh, that's a big a big boost to a team that definitely missed Anders Lee in the playoffs. Now, I'll say this. A lot of people, they're saying this team's a Stanley Cup contender, but what causes the result to be different this time? They are pretty much they're a very similar team the last like three or four years like basically since Barry Trotz got there they've been a, have a very similar nucleus and they've added little pieces here and there and they went from this like wow they're all of a sudden good to like oh maybe this team is a contender oh yes this team's definitely a contender what makes this year different Justin like I doesn't matter to me if you think they're gonna win the cup. Why will this team win the cup this year? You know what? I mean, I'm not confident that this team will win the cup. I'm confident that they could potentially win this division. However, again, this nucleus is pretty much the same, right? But they, the difference is, is obviously Anders Lee, right? He is, is going to have to be the difference for this team long-term. A guy like two, Zach Parise, a guy like Zdeno Char to add that depth you know, when this team struggles up front, because listen, they got, they got put up against a high scoring team in Tampa Bay and they just couldn't get it done. Right. They just, they looked outplayed. They looked like they were just lost at times. Now, again, Barry Trotz is a fantastic coach and he'll keep these games close, but do they have that scoring depth? Do they have those guys that can really take over games outside of Barzell? There's really nobody on this team that I look at and I say, okay, this guy could take over a game put up some goals and really, you know, push this team over the top. No, not really. And so, you know what, it's going to have to come from the back end. And what I mean by that is this team's going to have to shut guys down. And I think, you know, between Varlamov and Sorokin, they're really going to have to find a way to win those close games. Yeah. I, I do see certainly where, you know, their back end is just very solid. Like there, there's, there's a lot back there that you can, I mean, it's always nice to have Sebastian Ajo Jr. back there too, uh, but uh, obviously, their up front is where they're they're really everything. All all their money is up front, right? Like the vast majority of their money is up front, um, and in in their goaltending. I I wonder what a full year of Kyle Palmieri can mean. You know, that's that's something that's been tossed around. You know, can he kind of find his form? 25, 27, 24, 26 goals uh, the four years prior to last. Uh, I wonder, you know, okay, last year he gets 10 goals. You know, he's probably still a 20-goal scorer, 
given the right scenario, especially like he had seven goals in the playoffs in 19 games. Uh, so you got to expect that he's going to score 20 goals for you. I I guess I, I do like Anders Lee coming back. He also is now on the, he's on the wrong side of 30. Now he's 31, you know, Josh Bailey's 31. This team is starting to get up there in age and it's like, you kind of got to kind of got to do this or, or not because your, your core is starting to almost in a way, not necessarily age out to where they're going to be bad, but you wonder the way that they play. If this is sustainable over like five, six, seven years, you know, with, with these guys and that, that would be my, my biggest question mark. So with that said, it's like you almost, this might be the year, like you got to win or else this, this opportunity, this many players in their prime, ready to roll might, might not come around again for a while. And uh, you got to think that they're chomping at the bit. You know, can Semyon Varlamov have another, like, basically a Vesna-type season again? Is is that is that going to happen? Is, you know, that's – they got such good goaltending last year. Uh, it doesn't always – it doesn't – it just isn't always the case every year. You know, it's it, – to me, they're just a hard team – to say confidently, yes, they're first. They're definitely the best team in the division. Like all these other divisions, you go. Well, yes, Vegas is the best team in that division. Yes, Colorado's the best team in the Central. Yes, I would say Tampa Bay is the best team in the Atlantic. I mean, they just won the Stanley Cup. Uh, they did lose their entire third line, but uh, but they're still. I think they're still the best team. Now, now that doesn't mean that all those teams finish first in the division because weird things can happen over the course of 82 games. But I think that it's fair to say that those are the best teams in those divisions. But in the Metro, a lot of people are saying the Islanders. Some people are saying the Capitals. You know, some people have the Hurricanes. Like this, this is a much more fluid division, and I think that it's because the Islanders. I, they play such a good team game that you're kind of thinking like, when is this not going to work anymore? Right. And they're supposed to be a team, right, that's built for the playoffs. They're supposed to go out and help, you know, supposed to bruise you and play those shutdown type of games to where they're going to be, you know, tight one-goal games. Now, you know, again, I, I wonder if at any point Barry Trotz finally, you know, lets Matthew Barzell off the reins and says, okay, go do your thing. Go back to your, you know, point per game type production and just UBU, right, where he broke out in this league with 85 points. And so, um, you know, now that he's playing more of a, you know, playing more responsible minutes, you know, he's his production sort of dipped a little bit. And so then you look at a guy like Anthony Bavillier, too, who can, you know, potentially grow a little bit more at 24. I think he's still got a little bit more to go. Are those two guys going to be able to, you know, take them to the next level, right? And so... Yeah, I'm with you because you look at this core and they're really outside of Matthew Barzell. Really, the majority of their guys are signed for three, four, five years. And so if you're not doing it here in the next year or two, you might have just effed yourself because the way they do play that tight checking hockey, it might catch up with them with a lot of these guys a little bit, you know, in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And, you right. know, you can only play that way for so long. Well, and, and well, there are players, there's plenty of players who last into their thirties. Most don't. So you got to right. ask like, which one of these, which one of these guys are, are going to take a big nosedive in production. 
And the Islanders, well, you know, they've, they've got like an Oliver Wallstrom uh, in, who's young. Obviously, Matthew Barzell's he's 24, he's still young. Wallstrom had a nice season last year, you know, in, in a full season, he would have probably put up, he would have put up maybe 20, 25 goals and 40, 45 points in a full season if, if it was stretched out. Um, he's kind of your one guy coming. There's not a whole lot outside of that. Uh, where you go, oh yeah, we're like excited for some young talent. I mean, they they just they've traded away a lot of their a lot of their picks because they've been bringing in veteran players, and that's that's fair. I mean, that's how they got JG Pajot. That's how they got Kyle Palmieri. You know, they're they're trading away first round picks. Uh, well, and the other question is, there's only so many minutes to go around, right? So when you start, you know, most teams they supplement depth by bringing in younger guys and drafting well to fill in those minutes, right? Well, if you've got a ton of guys signed for four or five million dollars, you know, for the next three, four years, you don't have available roster spots. You don't have, you know, those second and third line minutes for these younger guys to develop. That's a great point. Yeah. So then they're, you know, having to come up in the AHL, which, you know, is sometimes hit or miss. Uh, Yeah. And you can only go so far, right? I mean, you can only play so many talented guys to develop, right? So you need to play those tough minutes against better players to, to be better, right? You need to go up against those Sidney Crosby's and those Malkins, right? Uh, to really see if you, if you've got what it takes to get to the next level. Yeah. It's almost like this new, this, this Islanders team needs their, uh, their versions of like, you know, when, when the penguins came up and it was like, Oh, Brian rust comes out of nowhere and, and is able to, to kind of fill in the top because I mean, invariably some of these guys are going to go down with injury too. That's the other side of it, of the way that they play is that someone's going to get hurt and uh, you need kind of the that next layer of player to be available and, and to be playing the same type of way. Now, you know, for all intents and purposes, the Islanders probably finish like pretty easily in the top three in this division. They are, they are one of the better teams in this division. I just don't think that they're like an absolute lock to win the division by, by any means. Yeah, so. I won't disagree with you. All right. Well, that is uh, that's the first four teams in the division. We will, of course, get to the Rangers, the Flyers, Penguins, and Capitals in part two. Stay tuned for that. You can find us on Twitter at, at OT Hockey Talk. Let us know what you think of our preview. If we miss something very key and very important, let us know. And until we meet again, we'll talk to you soon.